0: You're listening to Side Hustle Pro, the podcast that teaches you to build and grow a side hustle from passion project to profitable business. And I'm your host, Nikaela Matthews. So let's get started. Hey, hey, welcome back to the show, guys. This is Nikaela here with episode 49 of Side Hustle Pro. Today's show is all about the legal aspects of entrepreneurship. A few episodes back, I opened up the show for Q&A and many of you had some burning legal questions that you were dying to get answered. So today I've invited attorney Art Steele to the guest chair. Art Steele is a tax lawyer who founded her own law firm in 2014 with practice areas in small business counseling, international trust and estate planning, immigration, and foreign tax compliance. Before launching her law firm, Art began her legal career as a transactional tax associate at Skadden, Arps, Slate, Meager, and Flom LLP in Washington, D.C. She later worked as tax counsel for global tax planning at Discovery Communications in Silver String, Maryland. Her international tax background brings a unique perspective when advising clients regarding small business formation, estate planning, and immigration. Art is also an adjunct professor of wills, trusts, and estates at American University, Washington College of Law, and is barred in Virginia, Maryland, and the District of Columbia. Funny story about art. When I shared in my episode where it talked about forming my LLC via incorporate.com and how happy I was, art actually hit me up on the side like, um, you know you didn't have to pay that much, right? And go through incorporate.com. I believe she actually told me that it pained her heart and at first i was like who is this dramatic woman and why won't she let me live then i did some research actually talked to her on the phone and realized not only did she know what she was talking about but she was actually building a platform to educate more small businesses about the legal aspects of entrepreneurship in the end I realized I wasn't bothered at all that Art pointed out what I could have done differently because on this entrepreneurship journey, sometimes you'll make blunders. But I want to bring Art on the show to share her knowledge with the Side Hustle Pro audience so that you can save yourself the time, Google search, and stress of trying to figure out some of these legal aspects of entrepreneurship on your own. Before we jump into our special episode with Art, I want to let you know that this podcast is brought to you by FreshBooks. Guys, FreshBooks recently unveiled an all new version of their cloud accounting software. It's been redesigned for exactly the way we work as entrepreneurs. It has the simplest system to track your clients, expenses, projects, and more. I've been using and loving these features ever since I formed an official business entity this year. FreshBooks is user-friendly and it has powerful features that help you to stay organized and get paid in a timely fashion. With FreshBooks, you can create and send professional-looking invoices in less than 30 seconds, set up online payments with just a couple of clicks, and see when your client has seen your invoice. If you want to create and send branded invoices in no time like me, FreshBooks has a special offer for my Side Hustle Pro listeners you can get a free unrestricted 30-day trial of FreshBooks. Just go to freshbooks.com slash Side Hustle Pro and enter Side Hustle Pro in the how did you hear about us section. Alrighty. I also just want to remind you that I'll be going live each week for an after show chat on my Facebook page on Thursdays at 9.30 p.m. So if you're not already doing so, head over to Facebook and like the Side Hustle Pro page. That's facebook.com slash side hustle pro. And then you'll get the notification when I go live. I can't wait to chat live about this episode with you guys this week. So see you Thursday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern. Now, one last thing before we get into the show. I'm going to share Art's legal disclaimer. I want to remind you that all of the information on this podcast and on our websites, including downloads, are for your information and educational purposes only. Your listening to this podcast or downloading the worksheets does not create an attorney-client relationship with Art, The Shingle Life, or Her Law Firm. If you have any specific questions, please consult with an attorney or an accountant authorized to practice law in your jurisdiction. Alrighty, now let's get into it. Art, welcome to the show and the Side Hustle Pro guest chair.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Nakela. I'm so excited. This is an honor. You too.
0: Well, this is awesome to have you here because as you know, I've been getting these questions and I want to be responsible and give people accurate answers. So that is your domain. And before we actually get into the questions, though, I would love to spend some time Talking about your background, because I think your background is so interesting and I want people to know that not only are you an authorized legal expert, but you're also about this side hustle life.
1: (laughs) I have a side hustle to my side
0: hustle. Right. So tell us a little bit about your background.
1: Okay. So um, I graduated from law school in 2009. And right after law school, I went to work for a major law firm in DC. And they were probably, I think like maybe the one or two top law firm for tax, for the tax practice. And so that's where I started in the tax group. And there I just represented clients. I represented one client at trial, not me, by myself. Whenever I say I, I mean the firm. (laughs) But yeah, so we represented clients who had issues with the IRS. And then we also about halfway through my career there at the law firm, I decided to focus more on transactional tax work as opposed to the tax litigation, like when the IRS is suing you, because that gives you the opportunity to be more in an advisory role and it just broadens your experience. And if you want to leave the firm, you have a lot of options as opposed to if you focus on litigation. So my firm is awesome or was awesome. And they allowed me to go back to school and they paid for me to get what's called an LLM, which is basically, nice. yeah. I mean, um, and it was at Georgetown Law School, which is not cheap and they paid for it completely. and. I got an LLM in tax, which is like a master's degree in law, but specialization in tax law. So I took every type of tax course that you could think about under the sun. But the reason I did that is because I wanted to expand my transactional tax knowledge so that one day I would be able to go and work for a corporation and to be their inside tax person, as opposed to when a law firm or a company has to hire a law firm. And usually the people who they will hire to come inside and work for them in-house counsel are people who have transactional experience because a lot of companies can't afford to do litigation because you leave that to like the big dog law firms.
0: So what made you want to hone in even more on taxation and get that LLM beyond wanting the transactional part of it? Like you could have continued to get practitioner
1: experience, right? Right. right. Well, you know, like when you whenever you get into a big law firm, you know, it's not going to be long before you leave because that's just the way it works. Right. So the next thing you start thinking about is what am I going to do when I leave here? Because you just know, like either the burnout rate, the competition, the way the law firm model is set up, you know, like, well, back in the good old days when I <laughs> was recruited by law firms, the DC firm might bring in 30, 40 people each year, right? Then by the time anybody is old enough to become partner, there's like two people left. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, and the, ch- I mean, you look up, it's all white male and you're just like not happening. Right. So you immediately start thinking, or you should be thinking about, what are you going to do for your next step? And from everyone who I spoke to, that was just the, that was the way to get more experience or to have more options when it was time to leave. And I actually was very lucky because I left Scadden and I went to Discovery Communications, which is also known as the Discovery Channel or better known as the Discovery Channel. And because of my transactional background, I was able to get a job where I was basically global tax counsel. And my boss and I were basically responsible for the worldwide tax planning for all of Discovery Communications, which had about at the time about 400 entities. (laughs) So when people when people ask me, what entity should I start? I'm just like. Oh, that's easy because, you know, I'm used to like dealing with so many more entities. And out of about 400 of those, I would say over half were international. And so we used to do a lot of tax planning and it was just me and my boss or about three of us who were lawyers in the tax department. So all of that work fell on us. And the IRS is very sensitive about moving money in or out of the country because they're immediately thinking, if it goes out of the country, we're not going to get paid. And if it's coming in the country, how are we going to get paid? <laughs> so because Discovery had so many international entities, we had to always figure out all of the special rules that the IRS has set up in order for us to buy different entities and for the company basically not to like lose a lot of money because it's really easy to trip over these rules anyway. Won't get too much into this. I don't want people to fall asleep. But one of the.
0: (laughs) No, I am. I am all the way tuned in because I'm just like, tell me more. Because you think of TV, right? You think of communications and I, I don't know the scope of Discovery Communications businesses and everything they own, but I know them for TV. So you think it's pretty straightforward. But from what you're describing, it's so complex, especially when it gets to the international part.
1: Well, and you know why it was so complex? It's because of intellectual property. Right. Mm-hmm. So when you have tangible property, when you have real estate, you can't move real estate to France. Right. You simply can't even personal property. You can take computers and machines and you can move them abroad. But with intellectual property, with like the click of your button, your intellectual property is in another country. Right. Mm-hmm. If if, yep. if somebody if we buy a TV station in Turkey, And they record all the programming let's say they charge because in Turkey it costs a hundred dollars to film a movie right and then they send it over here to the US and then we charge X thousands of dollars now I don't know much about how much movies and stuff charge but if they make it for a hundred and that's our company in Turkey and they send it to the US and we're charging X amount of dollars we're getting an unfair advantage and the question is how much tax do you pay on that? So when it comes to mm-hmm. intellectual property is extremely sensitive and the IRS's antennas are like, psh, psh, you know, like whenever they they <laughs> they're like, wait, did you say IP? So as a result of that, I actually dealt with a lot of IP and not only on the international side, but on the domestic side as well, because there's so many rules when you have intangible property. For example, let's say Side Hustle Pro, you don't own any assets, right? Besides your laptop and probably your microphone and maybe some shirts. <laughs> <You don't... laughs> yeah, I keep it very lean. Really... I keep it very lean. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you don't own any assets, but if somebody came to you and said, I wanna buy Side Hustle Pro. The question is, you're not gonna sell it to them for the cost of your laptop, right? Because it's built, you've put goodwill. So the question is, how much do you charge for goodwill? What exactly Mm -hmm. is that, right?
0: I feel like I'm back in business school. Now I'm with you because, yeah, definitely remember those conversations.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And and the IRS doesn't care about goodwill. All they care about, how much are you going to say it's worth so we can tax it, right? So Mm -hmm. if you do it really low, they're like, wait a minute, we think this. And if you do it high, I mean, they don't care. But you're not going to do it high because you don't, you know, for valuation purposes. But anyway, so that's the kind of stuff that I did. It was just trying to figure out the tax for almost every aspect of discovery patients
0: and how long were you doing that before you start to feel like okay (laughs) i kind of feel like i could go out on my own what was that time like
1: so um after about six months i was like i don't want to do this anymore (laughs) (laughs) um but you know it wasn't because of the experience the substantive experience that i was getting from discovery was amazing, as you can see, because one of the other things we did was a lot of digital content deals where a couple of YouTube channels or vloggers sold their company or their channel to Discovery. You know, Discovery would just... I mean, they would like, they're looking for content and they're looking for new stuff and they can't create all of it on their own. So they go out and buy it. And so we had a couple of vloggers and these people are selling their YouTube channel to this multi-million-dollar company and their lawyers are like people who have like no tax experience. And I'm like, what in the world? Like, And so it just kind of made me think like, wow, I could be on the other side of this, right? With my experience, with the experience that I have, I know what a big company like Discovery would be looking for or what would sweeten the deal for them or what kind of offers they would make. And I know exactly what to advise my client who might be selling their channel because there just aren't too many lawyers out there who know this stuff. So that's kind of the substantive reason. But you know, honestly, it just wasn't a good fit personality wise, because I had gone from working with all lawyers at the law firm to working with non-lawyers. <laughs> I don't mean to say <laughs> Welcome to the creative world. And <laughs> <laughs> I don't know it sounds snobby, but it was just like, right. oh, my God, like, I can't do this because like, I don't know. And I think the reason is because I came from such an awesome law firm and everybody was just like the people there were just amazing. And then you go into corporate America and it was just like. You know like there's a director and a manager and a this and a that and it's like everybody feels like whatever position is under them is really under them and i used to work with a lot of the people in the accounting department and they were just like why am i um answering to you you're not a director you're just tax counsel where does that fit in and it's like what why do you need to know where i fit in to do what you gotta do right. <laughs> right. <laughs> like well, how about that you know <laughs> Can we just do the work? Yes, I hear you 100%. So after about six months and people talk a lot about, you know, when do you leave your job? How do you know when it's time and blah, blah, blah. And I've never told anybody this story before, but I remember about six months after I started at Discovery, first of all, the guy who recruited me was like, oh, you know, after six months, you're going to get a promotion, blah, blah, blah. So I'm like, "Okay, that's fine. Anyway, so six months comes around and he calls me in like his office to tell me that two of the people on our team had been laid off and these were like directors and one guy was like the VP of tax and you know the first thing that came to my mind the very first thing I said and I almost said it out loud was God I wish it had been me Mm. and I didn't even know that I was feeling that and this was like six months into the job and I was just like whoa, where did that come from? And it was downhill from there. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was just like, okay, I know I don't want to do this. What am I going to do? And I started calling people, like I call a couple of my friends who had started their own law firms and spoke to them. And, you know, from that moment, I kind of knew I was like, okay, I I don't want to be here. And so I didn't leave until I think May of the following year. So I was there literally for like a year,
0: Yeah. Were you side hustling once you talked to your friends and kind of start to
1: learn what went into starting your own firm? Were you doing any of that on the side? Nope. And, you know, that's one of my biggest regrets is that I didn't because I was too afraid. I didn't want to tell myself that that's what my heart was telling me to do. And I called my friends and asked them about it, but it was just too much to think about. So I just kind of pushed it to the side. Plus, because of my skills at the law firm and my skills at like the ones I had acquired at Discovery, I was getting a lot of calls from recruiters who were looking for people to come back to the law firm. And they would contact me and At that time, the going salary for someone, because basically law firm salaries, for the most part, are good firms, are based on the the year that you've come out of law school. And so at that point, I was looking at $250,000 salary. And so I was like, "Mm, let me just see kind of how things shake out. Maybe I'll get a job at a firm again. But then I knew that I absolutely didn't want to go to a firm. So I was just scared. And it was because of my fear that, I I knew it was going to be a struggle. I knew I was going to take like a super duper duper pay cut. And I was just like, eh, maybe something will come up and I just ignored that feeling. But when I left Discovery, I never even applied for a job because I knew I wanted to start my own law firm. So it was just time that I wasted. I could have been learning about marketing, which is the biggest challenge I've had. <laughs> but okay. but anyways, I I felt it. I felt it six months in, I knew exactly what I wanted to do, but I was just so afraid to even think about it. And the kinds of stuff that, that came into my mind was like crazy stuff. Like, you know, Art, like you came from a major law firm. How would it look if you went out on your own? I mean, I know I'm embarrassed to say this stuff, but this is... I. I just but it's up. so
0: common. Yeah. I think, you know, you say crazy stuff, like it's so out of the scope of imagination, but it's actually the most common thing that I hear from people that comes up in my mind that we all go through like, but...
1: You know, how's it gonna look yes. if like, like, like look how the mighty have fallen. You've gone from right, right. working at getting arts to like starting your but own law school. People 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 start their own accessible. law school for people who don't yeah. get jobs out of law school. Like what I mean, like, you know, it was ridiculous. Like completely yeah. ridiculous. But hey, yeah. you know, whatever. It, it was a learning experience. I'm I'm glad right. for the, the road I walked.
0: Exactly. And, you know, as I always say in the group now, and I try to hold myself to it too, because it's not something that you feel every day. Every day is a new day. You wake up with new doubts that you have to push <laughs> yes. your way out of. But the sooner you can let go of being concerned with other people's opinions in your decision making, the freer and better your life will be. So that's just one thing I try to put out there and embrace every single day. But now I really want to know, you finally left Discovery. What were some of the first steps you took to really get yourself established as your own firm? I remember you mentioned something about an initial letter you sent out to your contact list.
1: Yes. So I did stuff the old school way. Well, first of all, I will say that even though I didn't really prepare like networking wise to start my law firm, thank God I did have a really good job and honestly had almost about $95,000 when I left. So praise Jesus, because it's been rough. And if not for that, I literally would be out on the street. So Mm -hmm. that saving money is serious. It is serious. And I don't know what I would have done. I'm sure i would have done something but it would have been like even harder because it's been like super duper hard but at least i had that behind me so i paid someone to make a website for me i decided that i don't know where i heard this but somebody basically was like you should send an announcement to every single person you know actually i got the idea because I'm a member of the Virginia bar and I was working at Skadden which is like a you know big 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 firm in DC. And so every now and then I would get these announcement cards from law firms like smaller law firms, mid-sized law firms like maybe 10 15 people. But because I was a member of the Virginia bar, I guess they literally just went to the list of all the Virginia lawyers and sent them these announcements that would say, hey, I want to announce that so and so has joined the firm. So and so is a partner. So when I decided to start my firm, I was like, you know what? I'm going to send an email to or not email. I sent an actual announcement in the mail to every single person who I knew. And it was funny because I got to the post office and I had all these cards and the lady was like, how do you want to pay for them? You know, I don't want to scan every I think it was like a 100. I don't want to scan every hundred through the little letter thing. Can I just give you some stamps and you put it on there? And I was like, sure, what stamps do you have? And one of the stamps that she had was a butterfly. And I thought of the saying, you know, like butterflies are free. And so (laughs) that was the stamp that basically I used to send out my announcements because it was like this moment of like announcing to the world. You know, remember, I had been ashamed of even telling anyone that I was going to start my own firm and what would they say? And so for me to be able to send this was like a really proud moment. But, you know, I ordered it from like Vista. I had my graphic designer slash Ex mate gave me a really good rate, designed my announcement card, and I literally sent it to every single person who I knew. And even like all of my contacts at the law firm, all of my people, like I grew up in the area. So everybody who I knew, family and friends, parents of my friends, you know, because I wanted to go into estate planning. So I was like, they're going to need wills. <laughs> so why not let them know? And so I did that. I think I spent like about $200 between postage and the actual. Announcement cards. And like a week after I sent it, my dentist called me, who I had been visiting like quite not quite often, but like I was getting a I think, a filling or something. So I was seeing him regularly. and we would talk. But I never mentioned to him that I was starting my own firm and he never mentioned to me that he was buying another practice. And so I sent him the card and he calls me and he says, Hey, I am looking, I'm looking to buy a practice. Will you represent me? Because I need a lawyer. And so he was my first client and it was crazy because I had seen him all the time and we had never talked about this and he knew I was a lawyer. And we had just never talked about it. And so I think I got like a six or $7,000 fee from that. And I was like, wow, that was a good ROI. I mean, I spent, like $200, <laughs> I spent like $200 and I got a $7,000 job. Not bad.
0: Um, and that's why I love that story because it's something that that personal touch that we take for granted or just that touch of like, let people know what you're doing. Like if you're in a corner doing stuff behind the scenes, people People don't know. People can't pay you. People can't
1: that's so true and i've gotten so many referrals from my colleagues at the law firm because the first people who people go to to ask for lawyers are other lawyers or you know like the other lawyer who they know so i've gotten a lot of work from them and then another friend who i went to law school with i had told her that i was starting my own firm that i did tax law and a friend of hers his brother needed some help and he contacted me and so those were like my first two clients before i even made like my facebook announcement I had two clients and you know, when I started my firm, I really thought I I wanted to do trust in estates, you know, because I think it's like one of the best ways to transfer wealth. And I think it's one of the most overlooked ways, especially by minorities. So I was on this mission to like drive around with a bullhorn and just tell people that they needed to like do estate planning. But (laughs) like the most of the work I've gotten has been from small businesses. And that's because, I mean, I don't want to say that there aren't people out here who don't have this skill, but that's because, you know, I think I have a very unique set of skills. I mean, you don't really find a tax lawyer. I mean, a lot of people, especially online, talk about taxes and escorts. But when I listen to them anyway, maybe not when the layman does, but when I listen to them, I know they have no idea what they're talking about because they repeat the same thing everybody else says you know, but they don't understand like the actual reasons behind it. And that's one of the advantages that I have. And when my clients come to me and say, Hey, I want to do X, Y, Z. And I'm just like, why? And then they're like, Uh because this is what I'm trying to achieve. And I'm like, okay, well, this is what you're trying to achieve. You need to really do this because if you do that, you're going to get screwed down the line for taxes. But if you do it this way, then it's better. And there aren't too many people who can do that because a lot of business lawyers, I don't know what their training is, but I don't think they really have a tax background. So that's one of the things mm-hmm. that I've really been proud of.
0: And that's one of those, you know, you definitely stood out to me. And, you know, we started talking organically just through the Sidehouse of pro community and the master of the gram community. And I have been approached by their attorney, people who do business law, I suppose, but um, <laughs> As, as a layman, I felt a huge responsibility to bring someone to the table who has the receipts, who has the practitioner's experience of doing this for a major business, for a major law firm, you know, before like say, hey, believe this person. Cause yeah, there's general information that anyone can spam. It was just, you know, personally, I couldn't
1: have that on my conscience. So, (laughs) yeah. It's it's so easy because that's kind of one of the great things about being a lawyer is that you can develop because of the skills that were taught in law school, you can eventually get up to that pace. And I can tell you that for as long as I've been drafting LLC operating agreements and s agreements and all this stuff, there's still a lot of stuff I don't know. Right. And this digital content, I mean, this stuff is changing every single day, right. you know, but at the, at the very least, you know, like you, there's some stuff I stay away from because I'm just like, that's not my expertise. And until mm-hmm. I'm not going to advise a wide range of people on it until I truly understand what I'm talking about, you know, because there's yes. always exceptions to exceptions. Mm-hmm.
0: And speaking of that, so I, you know, we have to get into yes. the meat. We've been teasing people enough, but I just wanted to get into a little bit of your background and how you're helping people. Now it seems like you're passionate about you know, entrepreneurs navigate the legal world without feeling intimidated.
1: Yeah, because, I mean, I think, you know, it's so interesting because when I, when I started the Shingle Life, I, this entrepreneurial journey is just something because you just never know what you're going to get day to day. When I started the Shingle Life, I really wanted to talk to people about how difficult it was to run a business. But then I was like, everybody's talking about that, right? And also... They don't want to hear from me why it's difficult to run a business. They want to hear from the people who have succeeded, like who are super rich, why it's difficult to run a business. Or at least my voice is not really going to stand out. But the one thing I kept seeing was that people really needed help with this. And with all the Facebook groups that I was in, people were constantly asking these questions. And I was just like, wait a minute, like, can't they just Google this stuff? And then I started Googling it and it was like, oh, Now I understand why, because there's so much conflicting information out there. That's why people literally don't know what to do. Yeah. As a matter of fact, it's funny you
0: mentioned Facebook groups, because as soon as a legal thread pops up in a Facebook group, I like hide the thread. I'm like, "I I can't. I know it's about to be some craziness in here. I will not let you lead me astray.
1: I know, know I know, because there's so much information on the Internet. There is so much. I've spoken to like four or five people because I did some I did a survey. I I talk about this in my podcast and I did a survey. I did Uh some course calls and everybody who I spoke to had the same issue of not knowing where to start. But somebody had told them something different. Like, oh, yeah, yep. definitely do with this. Yep. Definitely yep. do that. yeah So
0: how, how do you set up a business? Like, okay. let's jump into, OK, the first thing, the number one question that came up. And this, these are direct questions from the Side hustle Pro community. Like, how do you set up a business and what type of business entity should you
1: choose? OK, so the reason why this is a difficult question, it's because it varies so much based on these three things first the state you live in, right? So each state has its own laws and its own procedures and regulations for how to start a business and for what protection it provides for each business. And then each state also has a completely different amount of how much it charges to maintain that actual entity or whether or not it charges taxes or whether or not you have any other obligations. So that's the first thing, the states vary widely. So somebody in Virginia can't tell on somebody in New York, oh yeah, just start an LLC. You don't know what it's like in New York, right? That's one. Two, it depends on that person's own personal situation, right? So depending on your personal situation, you may want to start a certain entity and not another one. And then the other thing is your business goals what are your business goals? What are your long-term goals? What are you planning on doing with this company? What are you planning on doing right now with this company? So if you take those three things, you're probably, you could talk to 10 people and you're not going to get the same answer. So a good place to start is to go to Google and type in how to start a business and then plug in your state. Now, the problem with that is when you do that, you're going to get LegalZoom. That's going to be the first thing that'll come up. And then the next thing will be incorporate.com. And then the next thing will be the next company that charges you a fee to pay a fee to your state. And they do that because they pay like a gazillion dollars in advertising so they can come up first. But you don't need to go through those services. Just look for your actual state's agency. And that'll usually end in .gov now. Some of the things that you want to consider when you go to the website of your state they're going to give you a rundown these are the different types of entities the main ones are sole proprietorship now there are others these are the three that most small businesses are looking at sole proprietorship limited liability company which we refer to as llc and a corporation now s corps are a little different i'll address that later so those are the three main ones Now, the factors that you want to think about in deciding which which one you want to choose is a sole proprietorship is basically not separate from you as a legal entity. So any actions or any lawsuits or any liabilities that arise under your conducting business with your sole proprietorship, you are personally liable and that just means your personal assets are liable so if you own a house and it has any equity in it if you own a car if you have cash in the bank if you have a job your wages could actually be up for grabs if this person sues you and wins they could recover from any of those things now I tell people if you have nothing, like if you are starting out and you don't own a home, you don't own a car, maybe you live in the city, right? A lot of people in DC live in apartments don't have homes, but you want to start this business. Don't stress yourself out. You may be able to do it as a sole proprietorship, right? So there's no right answer when it comes to that. Now for an LLC, what the LLC does is it limits your liability to the assets that are in your business. So if you have $1,000 cash in the bank for your LLC, and that's your LLC business account, and somebody sues you for $10,000, they win, they can only recover $1,000 because that's all that's in the business assets because the action is against you as the owner of your business, not you personally. So most people, if they own a home, own a car, have money in the bank, another job possibly, they may feel more comfortable with an LLC. Now the corporation that's a big, it's not necessarily like a big thing, but it's very formal. You would have to have a board, So that means even if you're a single shareholder, because corporations have shareholders, if you're a single shareholder, you still have to find two other people who are going to be your secretary and your treasurer. So it's a bit more formal. It's more formalities. You have to have meetings. You have to record the meetings. They have to be approved. You have to issue shareholder certificates. So a corporation is more formal. So most people are really looking at a sole proprietorship or an LLC. And so it really depends on your own circumstances if you don 't really have much at risk, then starting a sole proprietorship may be the thing for you and that 's fine now. The other thing to consider is the cost and it varies state by state because in Virginia, for example, to start an lLC is a hundred dollars when you initially register, and then every year after that it 's fifty bucks that 's it, and you just pay that fifty dollars every year now. In other states, for example, in New York, it's like a $200 fee. And then you have to pay a franchise tax for having an entity if it's a pass-through entity. And then if you live in Manhattan, you need to pay a publisher fee for all the income you make. So it can add up depending on where you live. And then I heard in California, it's probably about eight or $900 every year.
0: That brings up an important point because... Why does everyone love Delaware? When I was starting my LLC, oh my everyone was telling me like, do it in Delaware. It's better. And I don't know why, but
1: <laughs> okay, so I believe them. This is the time for me to plug my own podcast because I actually talked about this <laughs> Delaware mess for a, a bit. Yes. So I just started a four part series, a getting started, where I go into way more depth, right? Because we have a lot of questions to cover, but I go into way more depth about which to choose and why. But- I hate that. Delaware. Let me tell you about Delaware. So, (laughs) and without going into the legal history of corporations, so back in the day, Delaware was basically like at the forefront. Like back in the 1980s was really when shareholder lawsuits became a big thing, right? And so Delaware was one of the first states that developed a body of law that guided corporations on how to deal with their shareholders, like the procedures they need to put in place when they want to sell their companies and what rights the shareholders have. And so because corporations like predictability, they basically started forming their corporations in Delaware because they know that Delaware has developed this body of law. And if, it, if, if you know that Delaware says the procedures for selling your company is notifying your shareholders and then you have to give them 30 days, And then you have to give them 100 days to do this and then this. And then you can sell the company. So they know if they follow those rules, they're not going to get sued. So they started their company in Delaware because Delaware was the first to come up with this body of law that corporations could rely upon. And so then Delaware was like, oh, wait a minute. These guys are depending on us. So we'll just make it open. You can start your entity in Delaware And they started charging them all these fees because you have these major corporations that are willing to pay for the certainty. Right? So for that reason, people started associating Delaware with the place to form a business. But it's completely (laughs) misguided because it doesn't apply. It's like the best brand campaign of all time. Well, here's the thing. Delaware doesn't charge sales tax to its residents because they make so much money on corporations and these small business owners who are forming their LLCs and paying out the wazoo for a ridiculous amount of money. And here's the thing for an LLC, the LLC Act which is the law that governs limited liability companies. It says, like, if you form a limited liability and you don't write your own contract, your own operating agreement for your business, and anything happens to you or happens to that business, if you don't have your own contract, then the law applies. So, and that's called the Limited Liability Act. This Limited Liability Act is basically the same in every single state. (laughs) So if you're forming your LLC in California versus Delaware versus Virginia, Florida, for the most part, it's exactly the same. You're getting the same protection. You have the same rules. So when it comes to an LLC, there's really no reason for you to form your LLC in a different state. But here's the other thing that's a kicker. Let's say you go and form your LLC in Delaware and you live in Virginia. So you're an online business person. All of your business is in Virginia. Guess what you have to do? You have to also form a foreign entity in Virginia because you're operating business in Virginia. So now you have the entity in Virginia, in Delaware, that you're paying every year for. And then you have the entity in Virginia you're also paying every year for. So you're not going to get out of not forming your entity in your own state. It's, just, it's like the dumbest. I am going on record to say it is the dumbest advice anybody will give you. And so people, you guys to heard it here us. like don't, you form heard your it. Entity we in are del-
0: clearing it up <laughs> the side hustle pro podcast has cleared it up for y'all. Yeah. All Now, speaking of money and not getting out of paying things, let's talk about the IRS. Yes. And something that a lot of people think about is should I be starting an actual business bank account? And if so, when, what should I be thinking about in terms of that?
1: Okay, so as far as starting the business bank account, now, if you are a sole proprietorship, you're not, any, you're not a separate legal entity from your business, so you can use your own social security number to start a business account. Now, I still advise that you do that even if you are a sole proprietor, because you want to keep your business expenses separate. Now, the reason why people say, because people always talk about co mingling of funds, blah, blah, blah. The reason people say that is because you get to deduct your business expenses. That means if somebody pays you $500 for a photo shoot, let's say you're a photographer, they pay you $500 for a photo shoot, or actually, let's say $1,000. The reason I say $1,000 is because anybody who pays you for a service is required to issue you a 1099 if it's over $600. So that's another thing people don't know. They're supposed to be issuing these 1099s, and if you don't issue it, then the IRS can come back to you and charge you the money that that person was supposed to pay. But that's a different issue. Put that on the list for stuff we need to talk about later. But anyway, right. This is just part one, you guys. I know. We'll add it to part two. <laughs> so anyway, let's say they pay you a thousand dollars. This person is now going to issue you a 1099. That that means that they're going to send a note to the IRS saying we paid Nichola a thousand dollars. So the IRS is gonna be looking for you to include that thousand dollars on your tax return. Well, if you spent $20 in gas going to the shoot, if you had to buy, I don't know, a shadow box, a camera, blah, blah, you get to deduct all of those things. So at the end of the day, that thousand dollars that they paid you may end up being $400 because of your expenses. So that means you're only responsible for paying taxes on that 400. Thing is, if you're not keeping really good track of your expenses, you're doing one of two things. You're either underestimating your expenses. That means you're losing money because if all of your expenses are really $700, but you can only account for five, that means you're paying taxes on 500 or you're overestimating. And if you're overestimating, that means you're cheating the IRS. Now, Mm -hmm. is the IRS gonna call every single person and say, let's look through this, let's look through this? Not necessarily, but they, they do audit. There is a division at the IRS that is called a small business, midsize, something. But they they all they focus on is small businesses. So if you get audited by the IRS and you've put that you took a $700 expense deduction and you can't account for that $700, they're going to take that $200 deduction away from you. Then you're going to be charged the taxes that you were supposed to pay on it. Then you're going to be charged a penalty for underreporting your tax. And then you're going to get charged interest. So that's why it's important to keep track of your expenses. Now, do you need an accountant to do that for you? No, because an accountant can't every time you go swipe your card or you use cash, they're not going to keep your receipts. You know, that's just one of the jobs of being a business owner. You really have to make sure you manage this stuff. And depending on, you know, where you are when you start, when I first start all my businesses, I start with a spreadsheet, you know, until I start getting to the point where the expenses are just too much. And then I switch to um, some app. The other one. I don't wanna call it because I know right. <laughs> a fresh books competitor. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, but it's great at helping me, you know, in my accountant. I do have an accountant, but that's because I have a law firm and we have like so many mm-hmm. ethical obligations yeah. of what we have to do.
0: What about, you know, hiring a CPA? Someone asks, Is it necessary to have a CPA help with taxes?
1: So that depends on how complicated your personal, your overall tax situation is. I personally don't think you need an accountant just because you start a side hustle. Because if you keep track of your expenses, right, if you and, and, you know, in the first year, if you're not really making money, it shouldn't be difficult to do. If you keep track of I I mean I'm I'm I guess I'm just a lawyer but I I keep a spreadsheet of before I went to the competitor I keep a spreadsheet of every like medical equipment expenses transportation tolls I keep everything and so at the end of the year you can use any of these programs like the competitor, or the other competitor, or the other competitor, and you can do, <laughs> you can I mean, like you know you can use QuickBooks, H yeah. Block. I don't know what the other one is, but any of these online tax I don't know what they're called tax recording yeah,
0: TurboTax. TurboTax.
1: You can use them. There, all those systems are very complicated they will walk you through, they will say, do you have a business? And if you say yes, then they will ask you, did you have communication expenses? Did you have car expenses? They will walk through every single step for you. So you don't necessarily need to get an accountant to do your taxes. Now I have one because I own a home, I have a law firm and we have really weird reporting obligations or how we have to hold our clients money. And so I use an accountant and I have a kid, I do child care. So I have all of these issues, not issues, but all of these tax <laughs> considerations. Yeah. Considerations. It's complex. It's complex. Right. And I know like, even though I'm a tax lawyer, but I know a tax accountant knows the deduction stuff way better than I am. And I want to get every single type of deduction possible that I can get. And so Amen. I don't want to leave any money on the table. So that's yeah. why I use Speaking them. of
0: which, what about when is it time to report extra income? Like, do you report that $500 you made if that's all you made last year yes. or, you know, all you made after you take out expenses? Like, talk about that. OK,
1: so For the most part, this is very simple. I'm sure like an economist can tell you something else of what income means. But for tax purposes, income is basically your revenue, which is all the money you bring in versus or actually income equals revenue minus expenses. So all of your expenses, your office supplies, mileage, your mail automation system, Gmail, every possible expense that you have. You get to deduct when you are running a business, right? So you will deduct all of those expenses. So let's say at the end of year one, you brought in two photo shoots and they were each $500. And so you got $1,000. And at the end of the year, all of your expenses, and they came up to, let's say, $800. So you have $200 of income. You have to report those $200 in income. I know it's $200, but you got to report it. But here's the thing if you are just starting your business, you likely have a full-time job, right? So you're not doing a tax return only for $200 worth of income. You're just going to do what's called a Schedule C, which is where if you are a sole proprietorship or an LLC, you don't file a separate tax return for your business. An LLC, it's it's what's called a flow-through. So all of the income from your LLC or all of the losses from your LLC In your sole proprietorship, well, the sole proprietorship is not really an entity. So it is you. But for an LLC, it flows through, it breaks that barrier of the LLC business that you've set up and flows through into your regular personal tax return. And you report all of your business activity for your LLC on what's called a Schedule C. Now, the Schedule C will say revenue, expenses, and then it'll subtract B from A, and that's what you get as income. And that will go on a line on your 1040. Now, if you have losses, then the losses will go to reduce your income. So let's say you make $50,000 from your regular job and you just started this business and you spent all this year just, you know, buying everything, your camera, your light box and setting up your email system and you didn't really do any photo shoots, but at the end of the year you basically put about, you know, $2,000 into this business. So that two thousand dollars is going to go on the same line, but it's going to be a negative two thousand dollars and it's going to reduce your fifty thousand dollars down to forty eight thousand dollars. But if you made two thousand dollars in income, it's going to increase your fifty thousand dollars to fifty two thousand dollars. But the minute you get anything above zero, you have to report it.
0: Good to know. Good to know. What are some other legal considerations when side hustling with a full time job?
1: Hmm. I mean, I, I think I think a few weeks back you you talked about how to manage your side hustle with your your full time job.
0: and right. How to not get fired. Yeah, how to
1: not get fired. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um so yeah, how to not get fired legally really is you really, you know, you should look in your employee handbook. A lot of people I see this, I sometimes I just can't answer questions because then I'm like, I don't, you know. But anyway. Um before you start a side hustle, you really do want to look to see what your employee handbook says about starting, you know, your own business or working on the side. Um, If you have at will employment, they can't necessarily prevent you from, you know, having another job. But obviously, then you have to think about the non-legal consideration of how that time is going to affect your time at your other job. But as far as the legal, look to see if they say anything about it, right? Because if you've agreed to be employed there, then you agree to the terms in the handbook. And if they have any language as to what you can do, then you have to be held by that. The other thing you want to make sure is that, and you talked about this, if you haven't signed a non-compete agreement it doesn't mean that you can still compete with your employers right so you want to make sure that what you're doing is not necessarily competing with them like for example if you're you know using their equipment or you know they not what you've learned to go and open up your own business and, and directly compete you could be held liable the other thing that you want to make sure is you know not to use your job's equipment I know it's tempting to to use the computer at your job to do your, you know, write your blog posts or whatever. But your, empl- you know, any work that you create while you're in the employ or at your employer's location on their equipment technically could be considered to be owned by them. So I mean, I've again, I've never heard of anyone saying, oh, I'm now going to own your blog because you did all this stuff while you were here, but hey, lawyers do crazy things. And in about a couple of weeks, I'm going to have somebody on my podcast. This story is so crazy. I don't want to go too much into it, but somebody basically got sued for copyright infringement for something I don't do because I am just so afraid of it, but everybody does it every single day. And there's someone out there literally like- Talk about a teaser. Looking for people to do this very thing that everybody thinks is so inconsequential and hit them with a huge lawsuit
0: it's crazy all right so that brings up the issue of how to protect our digital content so first of all can you give us a general overview of intellectual property like what's the difference between copyright versus trademark versus patent versus trade secrets did i cover them all well
1: for the (laughs) most part i'm sure there's something out there that i'm that we're probably not covering okay so copyright is basically the protection of an expression which could either be artistic or written, right? So we're talking about maybe an art piece of artwork, written work, you know, like digital content, blogs, and anything that would be considered an expression implied or expressed of the artist. And you own the rights to your to your material, the copyrights rights to your material the minute you publish it. But I'll come back to that later. And then trademark. So when you trademark something, you are protecting the your name, the brand name, the logo, or some kind of expression like a motto. So Side Hustle Pro is the name of your business. You could trademark that. If you had a logo or if you consider the symbol for yours, I mean, like, Whenever anybody sees that gold symbol, it's so prominent in my mind anyway. I think that that definitely is your logo. So that could be protected. Like if, if I wanted to start a podcast and call it like pro something else, and I use that, and we're kind of talking about something similar, that could be seen as a you know trademark infringement. That's what a trademark protects. Now, patent is more technical. That's that's sort of a mechanical or engineering device that's used to either create something else or that is a part of something. So it's, you know, that would be like the chip that goes into your iPhone or um, how to design, like how to design something. Like maybe if you came up with a great way to design like a Barbie doll that moves, the mechanical device that goes into it, you would get patent for all of those different parts. And then the last one, trade secret, a trade secret is like proprietary information. So let's say you've come up with a way to you've come up with a system that's proven to get guests to respond and come onto to the show. And you've spent your time in developing this and it works and you've implemented it. That is a trade secret that you could protect. You know, you could say, hey, anybody who comes to work with me, this is a procedure that I've put in place. I developed it myself. These are the systems that I use to develop them and it works that it could be a trade secret. And I think trade secrets are probably, you know, a lot of people kind of know about copyrights and trademark that's coming up more, but trade secrets are probably one of the most unprotected assets that a lot of people don't even know exist. You know, we all know that we have copyrights, but, and we don't necessarily know how to protect it, but trade secrets people don't even think about. And so that's one of the things when you're hiring someone to work with you, even a virtual assistant or any professional or web designer, you know, you also you want to make sure that you put in your agreement with them that they are held to the standard of protecting your trade secrets.
0: Mm. So you said you would come back to copyright yes. now. How do we really copyright? You say as soon as
1: you hit publish, yes. we're technically copyrighted. Okay. Yeah, tech, I say technically because and you will hear a lot of people say that your, your copyrights are protected the minute you hit publish. And yes, it is. Right. That just means that you're claiming it and you're saying to the world that this is I'm letting you know that I am the owner. So you can't ever come back and say you didn't know who owned this. That's what putting the little C in the the C in the circle is really saying. But if that person used your copyrighted material or infringed upon it and you have not registered it, because a lot of people say, oh, you don't have to register it the minute you hit publish, blah, blah. But here's the thing. If you don't register it, you can't pursue money damages right away. So if you register your copyright, which you can do by going to the U.S. Copyright Office online, (laughs) not the actual office. Um, Well, you can go there too. I'm sure they'd be glad to see you because they probably see no one. But anyway, so if you register it, you are protected by the copyright registration and you can get, you can receive damages up to $150,000. That's a statutory amount. So if someone infringes upon your copyright, then you can say, Hey, remove this copyright remove this material from your website and this is how much you owe me because this copyright is registered and you owe that person that because it's registered well i mean you could go to court and say no it's really worth you know ten you know a thousand dollars and not 25 but you have to now go to court that person has the advantage of already having it registered if you have not registered your copyright and somebody infringes upon it You can go to court and sue them, but you then have to prove the damages. You have to prove the amount, which you still have to do, even if even if you have you've registered your copyright. But you would have to go back and register the copyright first before you could bring the claim in U.S. District Court. And if you have not registered or if you have registered it, there's a presumption that you own it because you've already registered it. So yes, it's true that the minute you hit publish, you your copyright is protected. But in my mind, personally, that's not, to me that means nothing. This is coming from a lawyer. It just simply <laughs> nothing. So people so, will tell okay, you that our, to make you feel good, but to me it means nothing. Yeah. Register it, it's like $35 and You go through the website. Are
0: you registering the copyright of your entire blog? Mm. Like, what
1: exactly are you? So here's the thing. Like, I, I won't, I don't tell people to, to register their entire blog because, you know, like you don't, you would spend all day on the copyright website to register your blog. But, um, I think that if you have workbooks, if you have maybe like, you know, what they call an epic blog post. I think those are probably more worthy of being copyrighted because they give so much valuable information and you could probably later take it to use it to, you know, like as the starting foundation of a book or an ebook. So I would usually say like your epic blog posts or photographs. Photographs are a tricky one. They're really, really tricky because, you know, the minute you take Um, A photograph, you know, how often can you really copyright every single photograph? Especially in today's age of Instagram. Mm -hmm, Like, mm -hmm. and there was recently a lawsuit against Khloe Kardashian because she hired some guy to take a photo of her. He took the photo of her. He sent a copy of it to her with his mark on it. She removed the mark and posted it on Instagram or somewhere the next day. And he's suing her. And, you know, everybody's like, oh, beware. See, this could happen to you. And I'm starting to think, like, this happened yesterday. Did he copyright it? Like, okay, Mm -hmm. he's suing her. And yeah, you know, like it's Khloe Kardashian. She's probably just going to, like, either take it down or throw money at him. But really, I thought about that. Like, how quickly can he copyright his photo? Yeah, he put his mark on it. But then the question is, did she sign an agreement? Did she sign an agreement that he owns the copyright, right? So usually the copyright is owned by the person who originates the product. So if he took the picture, the copyright is his. So if they sign an agreement and she and she agreed that it was his copyright, then he can sue her for breach of contract, right? But not necessarily that it's a copyright infringement. Does that make sense? I know it seems like- No, that
0: the, makes sense, yeah. that makes sense. And, 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 and the I want standard to... is
1: different, that's, yes. that's the
0: main thing. Right. And I want to bring it all back and bring it home because, you know, we're getting ready to wrap up. And I know you guys that we have presented a lot, but we wanted to get as thorough as possible on these topics of starting out because, you know, these are the questions we saw the most. How to get started? What kind of business entity to form? And then, all right one thing I want people to take away is like, when should I be looking into trademarking mm. and how, how we are side hustlers, right? Yeah. Like we cannot hire an attorney. I know. I know how you feel. I know how you feel about legal zoom, but mm. dot, 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 dot.
1: <laughs> okay. I know it's tough. It is a tough one. So when should you start copywriting? Like, I'm sorry, trademarking, you know, I think, I think maybe, a year ago two years ago i would have said and eh, kind of wait and see and see how it turns out see how this business ends up but i think we're really living in a time where the online uh, market or online business is just taking off and everybody has basically the same idea. I'm sorry, like um, there's not really much that's original out there. You know, the the one thing that makes everything different is you, the person who's presenting it and and how you relate to your audience. So there's no question that if you have one idea, there are 10 or 15 other people who have this, or (laughs) hundreds of people who have the same idea. So, you know, I think that you should consider where you want this product to go or where you want this business to go and how strongly do you feel about it? You know, I haven't trademarked the Shingle Life, but that's because I, I kind of feel like, yeah, you know, not not that I don't like it, but I, I'm just like, it's not something that I can concern myself with right now. <laughs> but also <laughs> at the same time, I feel like, okay, somebody steals it, I'll just change something else. I don't know, maybe that's crazy. I would never tell a client to do that. But I think that the the bottom line is, If somebody started using the shingle life, I wouldn't be like devastated. I wouldn't feel like I couldn't start over. I wouldn't feel like this was my big, great idea that just slipped through my hands. Now, if, you know, five or six years from now, the shingle life is this huge thing that everybody knows. And yeah, it makes sense to copyright it. So to to answer the question, I would say, if starting out, you feel so strongly about this, you really feel like this name or this motto or the name of your business is so unique then I would start thinking about trademarking it immediately because yeah, there's a cost to it. And there are other things that you can do. I'm actually, I'm hoping, I don't know when this will come out, but maybe if I say this here, then I'll, it'll, people will hold me to it. I'm really trying to design a course where I can walk people through step by step, how to copyright their material, because as much as you don't want to pay legal fees, I don't have enough time to help every person who wants to copyright their material or trademark their material in a day's time or a month's time, you know, and it just, and that's one of the reasons why like I really did shift my business model is because it's, I realize that people need this in such a high volume that I'm not able right. to provide on one on one. So I am and it's not very clear, like, yeah. where can you go as an
0: independent person mm-hmm. to get this done? Like, should you go directly to the USTPO
1: website yes. or, you know? Well, I mean, so you could you could submit an application on your own to the, you don't need a lawyer to do it for you. Now, the chances of you getting it through and probably doing it properly without the help or guidance of a lawyer, it's going to be lower. That's the same reason why LegalZoom doesn't have a very high rate of success with trademarks. And the problem with trademarks is that you are, I think about 80 or 90% of them, even when you do use a lawyer, get an office action. And that's basically like this really long letter that describes every single thing legally that is wrong with your trademark. And so now you have to respond legally for why, you know, it's a good trademark. And a lot of people kind of stop at that point because, you know, even when I get that stuff, I'm just like, come on, man. Um, So I (laughs) I can imagine what it feels like for someone who has like no legal training. So, you know, I think. I mean, it's a tough decision. It's it's. I think there are probably a couple of lawyers who try to offer a reduced rate, but just simply because of the amount of work that is involved in doing a trademark, it's just difficult to, to charge such a low rate. And that's actually one of the reasons why I really want to like come up with a step-by-step course where literally I would like videotape my screen. There's a more technical word for that. Showing people like what to click on, what to do, how to get through, at least giving them the information.
0: That would be awesome. So what I'm hearing from you to just kind of recap is people starting out, side hustlers, that shouldn't be your first concern. But as you are working through it, if it's something that you're like, you'd be devastated mm. if someone else came in. And, you know, still, this is something like really do some soul searching, because sometimes we think we'd be devastated. And it's like, yeah, it's not that big a deal. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> so, it's, like, Truly, truly,
1: you know, do some soul searching on it's it. It's a tough thing to say. If you really if you feel Look, look here's the thing, though. this is what business like when you're trying to shift your mindset to a business owner you have to get used to doing think about i know that twenty five hundred dollars sounds like a lot to hire a lawyer but think about how much more money you will lose and this is what i tell people who say they can't afford me i'm like you're not you you're looking at it as i'm only that that if you don't hire me you're saving twenty five hundred dollars but if you don't hire me you're putting $100,000 hundred thousand a hundred thousand dollars possibly at risk because you're not protecting yourself. Because if somebody comes back to sue you, they're not suing you for the twenty four the twenty five hundred dollars I charged you. They're if they're making money off of your trademark, they're not making twenty five hundred dollars. They're making probably a hundred thousand dollars because of the, the way in which we can use and market people's digital content instantly. So I know it sounds like a lot, but that twenty five hundred dollars is worth it to protect this digital content or this asset that you have. And I think if you are designing an online course, immediately you should be thinking that the, as you're thinking of what you're going to call it, you should be searching the trademark database if you're doing an online course or ebook. Now, if it's just you're starting a company, maybe that's a little different because you don't know where it's going to go. But if you know you're putting that digital content of an online course or an ebook out there, I say immediately start thinking about trademark.
0: Alrighty. Well, this was very, very good art. Right. I feel like I learned a ton, even as someone who has gone through some of these steps already to kind of wrap on a positive note. I think as entrepreneurs, we put a lot of stress and pressure on ourselves to get everything right. And like, look, you guys, you're not going to get everything right. I didn't get everything right. I think losing some money on you trying to set up your business and really go for it and push through in the big scheme of things is it's not the worst thing you could lose money on. Right. Like so if you make a fumble along the way, like don't beat yourself up about it, but just listen to this episode, take notes. Art has been so great to provide a cheat sheet for this episode. And let's just continue to have these conversations. But what were you going to say? I was just going to say, it's, you know, it's
1: not that big a deal. If you started a corporation in Delaware, just just don't renew it and start it where you live. If you started a sole proprietorship and that's not working for you, then start an LLC. If you did an LLC too expensive, go to something else it's not that big. It's not the end of the world. That That's not the right. the, the major, the biggest decision you'll make in your business. Right. Don't fret over exactly. it.
0: Exactly. And again, it's the cost of doing business. You know, mm-hmm. like there are a lot of things that you could be losing money on. You could be wasting money on and it's not wasting money. You're investing in yourself. So there, there are going to be fumbles along the way, especially when you don't have an attorney. But, you know, like Art said, you could consider doing away with all of that and investing in an attorney from the start. So you can do away with some of these fumbles. So let's talk some more. Um, again, this is one of these shows that will have an after show on Thursday. Yay. So join us on Facebook at 930 on Thursday. All right, guys. So this is when we come to a close. This was just part one. If you have more legal questions, join the Side Hustle Pro community, sidehustlepro.co slash Facebook, and then we'll be able to load up some more questions for part two. Alrighty. Wait, so Art, yeah. what's the best way that we can connect with you after this episode to hear all the other juicy <laughs> okay. episodes that you are planning? Okay, so
1: I have a podcast and it's called The Shingle Life and I am at, I'm on Instagram at at the Shingle Life, and you can listen to episodes of the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher, and you can go to the website, which is www.theshinglelife.com/podcast, and you will get all of the latest episodes. And the other thing I was going to mention is not only are we going to do a cheat sheet for this episode, but for all of the episodes that I'm doing in the Get Started Getting Started series. I'm creating a cheat sheet that'll help guide you through this entire process. And I can tell you that the first one that I've created is a list, among all the other things, of all of the state agencies that create entities. So I've created hyperlinks to all of them. So guess what? Ooh. You guys don't even need to get trapped in legal Zoom world. You can just go to theshinglelife.com <laughs> slash podcast and download it. But this has all been right. amazing. I'm so, I'm so happy I can help people. That's the best part of this This has
0: been super informative and educational. So thank you so much, Art, for being in the guest chair. Thank you for having me. All right, guys. And there you have it. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to Side Hustle Pro. If you want to hear more from me, head on over to sidehustlepro.co forward slash sidehustlecorner to get my weekly Side Hustle Diaries chronicles about my own journey from passion project to profitable business. And if you want to find me online, I'm at Side Hustle Pro on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Don't forget to join the Side Hustle Pro Facebook community. Go to sidehustlepro.co forward slash mastermind. And as always, if you love the show, Do me a favor and subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Thanks, guys. Talk to you next week.